Blog Talk Radio. Having me, brother Africa. Uh, revolutionary greetings to you, uh, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's 
Revolutionary Party GC, Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the Total Liberation and Unification of Africa under Scientific Socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, we're now bringing Brother Haki. Brother Haki, welcome to Africa on the Move. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <clears throat> My name is Haiki Kamanti Nishoki, coming with African Awareness, <clears throat> and I'm interested in institution building because it seems to me that when you look in terms of the economy, in terms of, you know, the wealthy versus the poor, that clearly the um, numbers of poor is expanding, you know, uh, almost daily. So clearly it has real ramifications, you know, for the masses of people in this country, and the question is what are we going to do? So institutions certainly helps us to clarify exactly what the issues are and, more importantly, to deconstruct so as you know, to form it, uh, realistic uh, goals in terms of addressing a lot of these issues that we're confronted with. So we've got to have those institutions. They're extremely important in terms of uh, making it possible for us to, um, you know, survive a very uh, difficult situation. It's becoming more difficult by the day, and so we need institutions. And, Brother Africa, I want to thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Brother Haki. Father and Brother Haki, we now bring in Brother Jabari. Welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you, Brother Jabari, resident researcher. Look forward to another insightful program. It's just worth an honor and privilege. Peace, everybody. And Father and Brother Jabari, we bring in Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you. Thank you. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. And we thank you, Brother Moses, and to our listening audience. You are listening to Africa on the Move. Our agenda for today's program We entail first segment of what's going on in our world and the community, then followed by a discussion as to deal with today's thing. This is how they do it, the game being played. So at this point in time, we're going to go into the segment, what's going on in our world and the community. We'll start out with you, Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Well, let's see. Um, <clears throat> for starters, uh, inside the U.S., Election Day is coming up this Tuesday. And uh, as usual, uh, associated with this annual charade are all sorts of get-out-the-vote campaigns. Uh, my concern about most of them is that none of that a majority of them do not uh, can include a political education component. Uh, they uh, it seems as if there's some forces in our community that have ele- elevated voting to uh, to a matter of principle instead of uh, tactic. In our struggle, you know, for um, uh, you know uh, liberation, and uh, you know the sort of corruption that usually goes on around this time period, and another, uh, there are a group of uh, indigenous people 
uh, out of uh, Honduras that are uh, uh, marching through Mexico toward the U.S.-Mexico border. And uh, it seems like as if the U.S. government is getting prepared for a confrontation with these people that are trying to immigrate to the U.S. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Father Brother Anthony, Brother Hockey, what's going on in your world? <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> Brother Brother Africa, I got recently an opportunity to talk to some, some homeless young people um, last week. And I got to say, you know, it, um, you know, as always, you know, it got me to thinking about the plight of children in society. And we're a very hostile society. And one who proclaims a concern, you know, for the, for the, uh, for the citizenry, but clearly, I mean, like the most vulnerable, which are children, there seems to be a great deal of apathy when it comes to the government in, term, government in terms of trying to create programs to ensure that you put an end to homelessness. But anyway, I read an article, and they talked about the fact that um, this article is from the Housing and Urban Development, and they talked about the fact that 30, 30% of Americans um, pay on average and 30 to 50% of their income on rent. Now, 48% of these renters reside in metropolitan areas. And one of the biggest problems, of course, is that um, the rents exceed uh, the wages. As wages continue to decline, the, the, uh, the, the housing costs continue to go up. In fact, one of the things that's been very helpful in terms of um, uh, remedying, you know, um, homelessness was rent control. But unfortunately, in America, there are only four states that has rent control, and that's California, Maryland, New Jersey, and New York. In America, 11 of those states do not have rent control at all. In the 24 U.S. states, they totally prohibited rent control. In other words, there is no discussion of rent control that is simply in opposition to state constitutions. I mean, this I find very, very problematic. And now when we talk about homelessness, one of the things we got to keep in mind that in 2029, the low-income housing tax credit, uh, which is part of responsible for subsidized housing to the tune of uh, between 30 to 120 million people depend on it, that's going to be eliminated. So the homelessness situation is going to exacerbate. Also, you know, historically, I think, Brother Africa, one of the things we also have to understand, when we talk about the situation of homelessness, we have to understand that there's money to be made in terms of homelessness. Uh, one of the things, we talk about mon- monetization. In other words, when we talk about ho- homelessness, when we talk about the ability of people, wealthy people to make money at the expense of the homeless, it's something that's in effect in America, throughout the world. And so this notion that, um, that people who are homeless are, in fact, um, somehow complicitous or responsible for their plight is sheer lunacy. Uh, but one of the things historically I think we have to understand also back in 2008, when we talk about the housing debacle, remember, we created all of these financial instruments, uh, you know, uh, for the sole purpose of maximizing their profit by simply mixing and matching all kind of, you know, financial instruments, um, which means that no ownership of those of those those instruments uh, belongs to any particular person, but a a, a, a large group of people. Uh, so what happens is that in that situation, uh, people um, who had these loans didn't know who to go to in terms of they had a problem in terms of you know as their mortgages continue to escalate to ensure that they eventually would become homeless. So we talk about this question in terms of modernization, in terms of this propensity to make money at the expense of human suffering. I think it's something fundamental to capitalism. So I think unless people uh, become concerned about the plight, you know, of the homeless, at some point they too could find themselves, you know, victim of homelessness. So I think that, you know, it's very, very important that we understand the, the vicious nature, you know, of the system as it relates to human need 
and how it facilitates a lot of homelessness in the society. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Zabari, what's going on in your world and the community? Um, a couple of items I want to highlight. Um, one of them is it's so good that there are commemorations in place for Brother Juan Carlos and Tommy Smith for their 1968 Black Power Salute at the Olympics. And just to give a little bit of background, during the height of the Civil Rights era, two Olympic sprinters that were the Gold medalist and bronze medalist Juan Carlos and Tommy Smith took a stand of activism, which ultimately cost them their track and field careers because they so courageously um, did the Black Power Salute after performing admirably in a particular track and field event. It was at that point that the Olympic Committee informed them that they would no longer be able to participate and that their medals meant nothing as a result of the stance they took. And another item I wanted to mention is that DARPA is seeking approval for military drones over cities by 2030 at the latest. So it's useful DARPA, the research wing of the military, is seeking to have drones that will be flying over airport areas. Not, these not just any class of drone, but military class drones. So that could lead to a number of devastating possibilities. Mm, that's interesting. We like to talk about just the, the issue in the circle. But next we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Well, um, I would say this week the vote, the vote. Uh, we have to maintain a united front against fascism, and uh, I think you know that uh, that you know the people who are concerned about the government and uh, and and the internal contradiction within the government should should. Should uh, vote for people who are who are not going to carry out this Trump agenda uh, and, and try to try to hold the land against the fascist march march and uh, so that's that's about the main thing going on this week I would say thank you thank you brother Moses and we're now bringing our sister Hattie sister Hattie what's going on in your world in the community. Oh, well, um, we are still working, Women United, with our um, program, our campaign with Black Women Wisdom 90 and Up, and, of course, always empowering women with whatever uh, goals they may have, the sisters that we run into, and, and elsewise. And uh, we are also adding a component to our um, campaign just to start ultimately a uh, some private schools to do some student exchange programs between the continent, Africa, starting perhaps with Ghana and uh, the U.S. So some African exchange student programs. That's what's on our agenda for next steps. Sound good to me, Sister Hattie. Sound good to me. Uh, one quick announcement I'd like to make on this segment is that the Southern Anti-Racist Southern Anti-Racism Network will celebrate its 20th anniversary in Durham, North Carolina, on Friday, November the 9th at 7 p.m. at the High Heritage Center. 
We have Lucy Murphy, family members of it. We are MCD Vet. And sang from her amazing repertoire. Also, uh, David Rovers, fourth singer and songwriter of the International Claim based in Oregon. We sang his messages of freedom and justice for all. And we also we have a few the label singing in summer. Well known throughout the world and they'll be um there'll be the three cultural uh, uh cultural artists um so the well the black the few the black the fruit of labor singing summer is the arm of the black workers for justice for all three of my culture workers and they'll be performing and doing the program. That's coming up. That's been night from Friday night for Friday, um, November the ninth. And if you're in that region we encourage you to Come and support the event. Check them out. And for more information, you can call Sister Ter- Teresa Elamine at 762-821-1107. 762-821-1107. So in terms of keeping a lot of things, what's going on now we're in the community, panelists, uh, there are a couple of things I'd like to just get some feedback from you all, maybe a better understanding in terms of the logic behind some of the things that are done um, in, in the system as it relates to how it impacts people's daily lives. Now, we just had a recent discussion with some of the brothers and sisters from the community from which I live, and they raised the issue, and I really wasn't even thinking about it, but they raised the issue about how one driving license can be used as a tool to make matters worse and really oppress working people and poor people. Um, you know, some states now, or many states now, they have a policy that if you're behind in child support or if you uh, ever go to jail for any kind of matter of penalty, you lose your driver license. And once you lose it, in order to get it back, you have to pay, pay large, large sums of money. Now, what is the purpose of the law behind punishing someone for losing their license? Because either they ran into a situation where they maybe high in their support payment, or even if they go to jail for something, why is it, you know, you have to add additional punishment to them by losing their license and how they can create hardship for these individuals and for families. Because many times if you cannot drive and you can't get to work, et cetera. So what is the logic behind this, panelists? What do y'all make of, of this kind of policy, particularly as, as it relates to the poor and the working class? I see it as making it harder for the poor, in a sense, because most most parts of the U.S., to my knowledge, you need a car in order to get back and forth to work and uh, carry out the other uh, other other needs of life, such as uh, you know uh, uh, providing food and clothing, shelter for your family. So uh, this uh, imposes an additional burden on the, on the poor and working class in a majority of locations inside the U.S. Yeah, well, I think when you when you ask the question, Brother Africa, what kind, what's the logic behind it? I think it's a perverse kind of logic. I don't think it's a logic exists where you talk about rational, you know, kind of logic. I think in terms of being perverse, I think their position is that if they set an example by other people, they would discourage people from having children out of wedlock. But, of course, we understand human beings being what human beings are. 
that mistakes happen, that people have children for philosophical reasons. I think this whole notion in terms of removing someone's uh, um, job license because they owe child support, to me, is, is nonsensical because it makes no sense. Because if, on one hand, you're saying that you have an obligation to take care of the children, but then you take away their means in terms of getting to work, particularly when we talk about, you know, in, in this society, most jobs are not located in urban centers. They're located outside. And this is a conscious policy of those uh, management, those individuals who are responsible for determining, you know, where jobs are, who get jobs, and how many jobs will be available. So clearly, uh, this punitive measure in terms of taking people's driving license to ensure that people don't have opportunity to actually get to those jobs, which is precisely what they want, which means inevitably people end up, you know, in prison because of desperation. They end up doing things which are counterproductive, which are maladaptive, simply because they want to, they're seeking some way in terms of survival. I think more importantly, Brother Africa, I think um, one of the things, when we talk about the nature of the economy, you know, we can't dismiss the fact that we talk about a gig economy. In other words, so a lot of these jobs are not designed to last for long periods of time. Uh, a lot of these jobs are really temporary kind of jobs. In fact, they get you in, uh, burn you out, <clears throat> exploit you to the max, and then get rid of you. And that's how it goes. So if you find yourself a, 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 a victim of a, of a, of, of a gig economy, uh, then it seems to me somewhat unrealistic, certainly unfair, to uh, penalize people because they have no control in terms of the, the mechanisms that, um, that um, determines, you know, what kind of jobs are created, um, the nature of those jobs, and how long jobs last. So I think that clearly they got a perverse kind of logic in which their whole thing Oh, as usual, is always to punish, 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 so as to create an example for other people. But despite this, it's creating an example for, for others. They won't deter people from having children. People, for whatever reason, are going to have children. And, and in this, this kind of maladaptive, uh, this, this totally uh, implausible way in terms of dealing with, you know, child support uh, can be much, much better achieved by ensuring that people have access to the license to ensure they can get out to the jobs that are far out the city areas. And just to add to the other, just to add to the other two um, panelists' descriptions. Also, I think anytime uh, the capitalist system has another way to, uh, to add in another group of people to their oppression, they're always looking for that. You know, they're like little. Uh, spies going around now let's see here charlie where can we find another class and create another underclass and it's always about power and control for the white male power system he is always willing to find a way to oppress people and we know predominantly all of these rules that they come up with they're they're definitely uh made for the black man for the most part and anytime he can continue to oppress and suppress the black man in this country, I mean, that seems to be what they go after because there is where they can, um, you know, continue to have some, some of this, this power over the individuals. And so to do that means that you're just creating another group of people and as many underclass as you can create is is what what you're always after any other oppression because that's the nature of the beast is to disempower disengage uh, keep people out of 
this this economy in any kind of way that it's going to be a livable kind of situation or wage or whatever it may be. Thanks. Thank you, Sister Hattie. Anyone else would like to respond to that phenomenon? Well, I, I think uh, it's definitely, uh, as, as uh, Brother brother said, like he said, it's a perverse logic. Uh, it's definitely meant to punish poor and working class people. Uh, uh, it just it baffles my mind to understand what what they hope to accomplish, other than other than to just uh, punishment. Uh, uh, it doesn't bring in any more money or for child support or anything like that. Uh, it just punishes the person, and uh, it's just a perverse logic. Thank you. Yeah, it's interesting. There's also there's also there's also a dark side to what they're doing, Brother Africa, and that is that it's much more profitable uh, from the capitalist standpoint of view to have people in prison as opposed to taking care of their children. Uh, taking care of children is really not important to them, particularly when we talk about, you know, as capitalism, you know, uh, deconstructs as continuing to deteriorate. What happens is that there's less and less need for workers, and so therefore, for them, the question is how do you read, you know, uh, you know, these surplus workers? You've got all these people who need jobs, but the system is not designed to employ them. So the question is, what do you do with them? One of the things is that they create the conditions to make sure, in particular, the children. Don't get an opportunity to proliferate. And then they they don't have, they like the opportunity to be the best they can be because all these social, leading economic indicators in terms of defining one's lot in life, uh, so 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 deplorable, so horrible when it comes to poor children, that the father the father's inability you know to take care of the children only assists that process. And so therefore that's what they want. And on the other side of the coin is by you know. You know, you know, by deeming you know um, the, the the father uh, as, as as totally irresponsible, then you can always justify the massive incarceration of, of of such people, and so therefore that's when we talk about the big bucks. So corporations make a tremendous amount of money in terms of incarcerating people, working them for you know you know seven cents a day, sixty cents a day, forty cents a day, depending on what state that you're talking about. So clearly the the, the profit motive is is more driving force in terms of the well-being of those children. So this is so when we talk about the perverse logic, we got to understand that when we talk about the capitalism, there's nothing logic about capitalism. As Sister had alluded to, it's always about wealth and power, and that's all it's about. It's never about what's right. It's never about democracy. It's not about any of that stuff. It's all about what's right. And these children are expandable, and so therefore, if the, if the father can't take care of children, so what? Uh, we can at least benefit from having that father in prison where we can make lots and lots of money. So. It's a very vicious system, and we have to understand it for what it is. We have to sense it systematically. It does what it does because it's designed to do what it does, and that's just the way it is. And to add to your point, Brother Hackey, also, when we often talk about these so-called poverty programs, social programs, where they claim it benefit the poor and the oppressed, it really benefit those who have wealth because if we look at who get the money, who actually receive the money, it doesn't go to the poor and the press. It goes to the rich and the powerful. I mean, these social programs, you look at the distribution, who ends up with the money, it's going back to those who already have. And they never really truly talk about that. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting in terms of as we began to look at these 
so-called elections coming up, who are these people making these policies and voting for it? Because when you talk about this question of seeing the people at, at the enemy, this is an indicator. You know, many people don't understand that um, how oppression uh, manifests itself, but these are some of the ways is how oppression manifests themselves through policies and, and, and laws in terms of, you know, it creates conditions where people are put in positions that are not favorable to them. And a lot of these creation social conditions are created intentionally. And uh, people need to come to understand that. So, you know, I thought that would be an interest in terms of the discussion we had in terms of if you just sit back and look at what what is the what is, what is the logic behind if one goes to jail or one is behind a a payment for child support, some kind of way you interject the concept of taking away someone's driving license. You know, it's just it's just um this logic makes no sense. But let's continue. Yeah, but you know, but you know, but you know, brother Africa, but you know, brother Africa, the whole point in terms of the war on the citizenry. See, this is why it's, important. it's a very difficult point to convey to the people to understand that when they look at war, the U.S. You know, conducting wars throughout the world, uh, to understand that the same strategy, the same tactics that they use to facilitate wars around the world are the same, some of the same strategies they use right here to, uh, to, uh, to, to, to inflict war against the people right here in America. And people don't understand that. And one of the biggest purveyors in terms of uh, policy or, or, or in terms of um, the, the most effective way in terms of going about utilizing war against the people, uh, people don't understand the notion in terms of propaganda. And, and propaganda is, is very effective in terms of, you know, sort of um, uh, uh, making, making not only people, making people suggestible, uh, you know, to ideas that are not realistic, but it's also very good in terms of manipulating people's moods and, and, and feelings. And so long as you can manipulate people's moods and feelings, then they never come to realization and the problems that the anxiety that they feel, and it, it is certainly uh, those policies that, that benefit the poor at the expense of everybody else, clearly this is all part of concerted effort to, to ensure to undermine or to making sure that the mass of people become disempowered. They don't want the mass of people to become empowered. And so this is a war. And so so psychologically, you know, all wars always start with the, psycholo- you know, with the psychological. Uh, you don't just go in and, 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 and drop, drop bombs kill people, blah, 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 blah. It always starts psychologically. So in the case of the African community, uh, this notion, in fact, is somehow that African people are perceived as others or African people are perceived as somehow uh, not uh, fit or, or African people are perceived somehow as uh, lacking initiative and drive. This is being internalized by a large number of the population right here in America. And so, therefore, when it comes to oppression of, of African people, uh, we talk about this psychological uh, 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 program they use in terms of demonizing African people. Most people in society tend to agree that what, what they read and what they hear is, in fact, pretty much sums up what African people are all about. And so this is, you know, this is, this is part of the strategy in terms of war. First, to demonize the people that, you, that you're going to fight against. And in, this, in America, African people have always been that that entity in which you demonize in terms of the purposes of war. We just don't understand it because we want to believe that, in fact, that virtue, because you're born here, that you're American. And it doesn't work that way. So it can never work that way. Constitutionally, when you look at it in terms of America, even when you talk about three-fifths of a person in terms of what it is to be American, they clearly uh, African people fall short in terms of, you know, being characterized as American. 
So clearly, you know, no matter how you cut it, uh, the bottom line is that when you look at the socioeconomic indicators of African people, then clearly we are not citizens. No matter how much we want to believe that we are citizens, we're not. And as long as we think that we're citizens, we, we, we make ourselves, um, uh, we make it, make it easier for those who want to practice the psychological warfare against us, make it that much easier for them to actually do it. And what we have to say in the long run, ultimately, so we, we understand the psychological phase in terms of against, you know, being utilized against African people, ultimately this will come to the total the eradica- eradication or elimination or, of African people. So we're talking about a process in terms of war, and this is what we've got to be very, very concerned about. And so for those who just say, well, I ain't worried, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I'm okay, no problem, I ain't worried about nothing, I'm going to be calm, I'm going to be cool, I'm not going to say anything, I don't know anything, I'm all right. But it doesn't work that way, you know, because you're here, and by virtue of who you are, the color of your skin, or, you know, uh, re- you represent a, a, a threat to the powers that be. And so, therefore, this war that they're enacted against our people is both conscious and desirable. And so we got to understand the reality, and we have to understand the situation for us is very perilous, and no amount of praying is going to change the, the whole core reality in terms of our existence in America. You know, Jabari, you said something really interesting, and it continued around this, this, this theme of um, how the state is viewing the people as the enemy. Now, Jabari, you raised the issue that the Pentagon is talking about passing some kind of rules or policy where they can actually fly military drones over various cities. Now, number one, and why would to be specific, um, Brother Africa, it was DARPA, but the research wing of the military in particular. But yes, DRPA was proposing this. They're working on it. Now, what does that indicate for them to have a rationale of wanting to? And this is, you know, DARPA under, under the banner of the Pentagon to fly military military drones. We talk about military drones over cities. What do they know that we don't know, and what are they saying to the people in this country, panelists? Well, What's the implication now? Go ahead, Jabari. One thing, one thing you have to consider, if you go to certain regions that um, this um, administration, as far as the Western powers that be, if they deem them to be unfriendly to U.S. interests, it makes you wonder if something could potentially happen to your flight because of that in terms of um, – we talk about what military drones would be capable of, in addition to even the kind of um, surveying that could take place in terms of the cameras. And one thing I'm make sure that's going to be for darn sure, if you're flying, you won't have any kind of privacy because they won't have your picture image to know who you are. And also, you also got to wonder in regards to certain types of fights, would it be things that happen to certain fights in certain areas as intimidation to tell people they shouldn't be able to go to this particular area. Then you also can't even wonder if, all of a sudden you're deemed to be a suspect, are they going to be able to round people up at random? And I'm not saying this to um, sound crazy, but I'm just saying these are just some of the scenarios that could take place when you talk about this happening. Um, I would uh, add that that in terms of uh, uh, military drone attacks, that is that is not as far fetched into the future as my scene. As a matter of fact, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, 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 our comrade President uh, Nicholas Maduro was a victim of a, an assassination t- uh, 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 attempt earlier this year. 
he survived it. But, uh, you know, but that capability exists now. And I think what is happening, what it, uh, part of the problem is that a lot of Africans in the U.S. Are, 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 under, are under the illusion that what goes on in other parts of the world can't happen here. And that's simply not the case. And it's complicated because uh, in addition uh, to the propaganda war being waged against us, we have all these uh, mechanisms for escaping reality, like drugs, entertainment, alcohol, and, um, and uh, religion applied incorrectly. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and it has uh, people in a very disorganized state. And uh, we're not preparing for uh, sufficiently uh, for, for uh, uh, you know, for the, uh, uh, the violence that's coming down the pipe. And uh, so we've got uh, we've got to get better organized and better prepared. And we've got to teach. Uh, better do, do, uh, do a better job of teaching our people our history. It's because we don't understand our history that we don't realize that what rights we think we have were added to the Constitution. They weren't originally there. And that's something that is very important for people to understand. Yeah, isn't it interesting, though, when you talk about drones killing people abroad uh, around the world, it's interesting that right here in America they're innovating drones to kill U.S. citizens. Uh, and clearly, uh, one of the things with this whole concept in terms of enemy combatant, in other words, those individuals who dare speak out, those individuals who dare take a stand, those individuals who dare support justice become tantamount uh, to, as an enemy to the state. Uh, and so, therefore, this drone technology uh, is very useful in terms of eliminating, quote, unquote, those individuals, you know, who constitute a national security threat. Uh, one thing I think is very, very scary, though, Brother Africa, when we talk about the drone technology, when we talk about the fact that a lot of times the facial recognition is a, is a problem. In fact, facial recognition in a lot of countries has been abandoned because of the potential for, you know, big, big uh, uh, mistakes being made. Uh, one of the things we talk about different, you know, so-called you know, ethnic groups, uh, they have similar feature features, and so therefore they, uh, the, the technology has been somewhat uh, conflicted in terms of its ability to actually, uh, you know, decipher who's who in terms of uh, who should be who should be uh, liquidated, who should be killed, and so therefore the, the facial, facial technology te- uh, technology is also an issue. But as far as Doppler is concerned, as far as the Pentagon is concerned, it's really not an issue because um, you know. Um, just like you know, innocent people are killed around the world all the time. Killing in, innocent people in America is inconsequential, because as long as you can raise everything under the banner of national security, as long as you can say that um, enemy combatants exist, there is no such thing. Then in that context, there's really no such thing as an innocent bystander. That we're all guilty by by virtue, you know, of not you know being part of the system that oppresses or part of the system that kills. So, therefore, fundamentally, we have a real, real problem and that we have to understand that this technology is being innovated whether we want to or not, and they don't care because the whole point is they understand that as things currently exist structurally, 
this can this system can no longer can no longer um, provide for the masses of people in society. In fact, it's obsolete, it's arcane, um, and um, socialism is the order of the day. So, but in order for them to at least hopefully um, proceed with some type of longevity, they feel like the best the best measure for them is to simply kill off as many people as possible. So, if you terrify the population, and you can extend, they can extend their 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 influence. Uh, because we understand, given the flow of history, that societies rise and societies fall. But nonetheless, the people in the society have to understand that there's some very difficult days ahead, as Martin Luther King would say, and understand that when these people innovate these technologies for the sole purpose of killing people, they're telling you that you are an enemy, that you represent a threat to national security. You represent a threat to national security because the system is fundamentally flawed and is going down. And so, therefore, everyone becomes an enemy. So as such, no one is really an innocent bystander. We've got to understand the nature of the beast, philosophically, the insanity that permeates the minds of these people who are innovating this technology for the sole purpose of, of, of what they perceive as their survival. To our listening audience, you listen to Africa on the Move. We have any viewers or comment. We are discussing what's going on in our world and community. Please feel free to call in at 323-679-0841 Something else we have to be cognizant of is it's interesting that DARPA decided to do this at a point where we're desensitized to drone because as we know when you look at those things that are um, must have during the holiday season for the last three or four years there have been different variations of um, commercial drones that people have purchased in high numbers. So it's very interesting. You do this once the people have been desensitized to them and they don't have questions as to what is this UFO that's hovering around this particular airport. And also to you along with this process, they also desensitize us around the whole issue of feeling comfortable being civilian, to be civilian or to be um, viewed, to be seen. I mean, everywhere you go in there, the cities, you see cameras everywhere. And you see it so much, you say, well, you know, this is business as usual. So it becomes acceptable and seems like it's the norm. And these are the conditions they are created. Created for us, for us to invite to, it's all right to, um, they are create these kind of policies and create these kind of uh, instruments for social control. I mean, ever since our existence arriving here, the whole issue has never been about justice and fairness, it's all been about social control how to socially control the people, particularly people of color and African people. And that policy has not changed as it relates to the U.S. government and their interests. And once our people come to understand that, we can begin to really start talking seriously about creating a blueprint in terms of how do we free our people here and abroad. So anyway, panelists, job well done. What we're going to do is we're going to Pause for the calls, take a station break. When we come back, we're going to discuss tonight's theme, which is this is how they do it, the game being played. We had just talked about some of the things they do in terms of how they um, want to continue to maintain their power and their interests. So we're going to pause for the calls. When we come back, we ask you to join in by calling 323 0841. We'll come back and discuss. This is how they do this. 
this is why how things are done, and these are some results. We'll discuss that. But right now, let's pause for this call. So this is Africa on the Moon.
welcome you back to Africa on the Move. And like always, we would definitely encourage you not to become a Buffalo soldier. Start fighting other people's walls and start fighting for yourself. Start fighting for your people's liberation and the liberation of humanity. We welcome you back right now in this segment. We're going to deal with tonight's theme, which is this is how they do it. The game being played. Many times when we talk about depression in our people, people have no idea in terms of um, how oppression takes its forms or how does it get to the point where they're in the condition where they are. Well, one reason how you get in conditions where you are is that your enemy create tools and create psychology to justify why things the way they are. But to do that, they need to create tools. And we need to understand the various tools and institutions that exist in our society and what role they play towards our reality and what role do they play towards our social control as a, as a population. That was an interesting article titled, Pentagon Wants to Predict Anti-Trump Protests Using Social Media Surveillance. This is by Motherboard. And let me just read you just a little backdrop on this article and panelists. We'd like to have some kind of um, discussion on the significance of what is being conveyed in this particular article. It starts out that it states, October 30, 2018, Information Clearinghouse. This is where you can get this information. The United States government is accelerating effort to monitor social media to preempt major anti-government protests in the U.S. according to scientific research official government documents and patent filings reviewed by Motherboard, the social media posts of American citizens who don't like President Donald Trump are the focus of the latest U.S. military funding research. The research funded by the U.S. Army and co-authored by a researcher base at the West Point Military Academy is part of a wire effort by the Trump administration to consolidate the military's role and influence on domestic intelligence. The vast scale of this effort is reflected in a number of government social media surveillance patents granted this year, which related to a spy program that the Trump administration outsourced to a private company last year. Expert interview by Motherboard said that the Pentagon's new technology research may have played a role in amendments this April to the Joint Chief of Staff Homeland Defense Doctrine, which widened the Pentagon's role in providing intelligence for domestic emergencies, including insurrection. I'll stop right there, panelists. When you critique and read this article, um, clearly says the Pentagon want to look at social media as a tool and how it can pre-up so-called um, oppositions or actions that may not be favorable to the policies of this present administration. What is the danger that this article display, um, Brother Anthony, from your perspective? Uh the the dangers that are displayed is that people who use social media uh, to uh, to convey ideas of information could be targeted. 
by uh, by these intelligence agencies uh, for uh, uh, you know as possible um, uh, you know uh, 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 opponents of uh, the current administration. And it seems as if they want to monitor people's thoughts and ideas in order to uh, smash any political dissent from uh, uh, the prevailing uh, social order, which is uh, fully in support of capitalism and all of its manifestations. And... um, and actually, there's a historical precedent for this. Uh, the FBI, when it, from when it was founded up until uh, up until recently, had uh, had a program that uh, that spied on uh, 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 on Africans for various political reasons, and. Um, you know, and it used information it gathered in order to sow dissension among Africans that were trying to organize in order to alleviate our oppression. So, uh, so the the uh, it seems like with advances in technology, social media like uh, Tumblr, Twitter, etc. Are 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 the new targets because they're the vehicles for uh, disseminating information now, whereas uh, prior to the advent of the internet, it was primarily the newspaper and um, you know electronic media like television and radio. So I think this is what is happening. And the danger is that people um, uh, that people could be persecuted for uh, for for views they express through these uh, social uh, mechanisms. Brother Haki, it also talks about the relationship between the U.S. Army and the so concept of homeland security. One of the things that mentioned that it's no secret that the Pentagon has funded big data research into how social media surveillance can help predict large scales of population behavior, specifically the outbreak of conflict, terrorism, and civil unrest. Why do such a um, why do you feel so threatened by the population and civil unrest within the border of this country, Brother Aki? Yeah, well. You know, you can you can deceive some of the people some of the time, but you can't deceive all the people all the time. And I think that old action is pretty much understood by those in the position of power. See, a lot of us do, in fact, understand how capitalism works. When we look at the decline of capitalism, we see the manifestation of the decline in terms of homelessness, joblessness, uh, lack of education, uh, you know, affordable health care, and so forth and so on. So we, we understand the systemic nature in terms of these problems as related to capitalism. And because we understand fundamentally, you know, how the system works. Then anyone who has an understanding in terms of how the system works uh, becomes a threat to the system at, that, that system at large because the threat is that you can communicate your ideas in terms of, you know, what's going on, and there's always a fear among those in the position of power that you actually be in a position to actually impact on the way people think and people start questioning things. And, of course, that's a fundamental threat to those in power. 
Now, this question in terms of homeland defense, I think it's important that people understand that's a very good. We certainly have to draw a distinction. We talk about homeland defense versus homeland security. When we talk about homeland defense, what we're saying is that they anticipate that there will be some type of insurrection. There will be people rising up against the status quo, against the way the system as it currently exists. They anticipate that. In other words, they have no fundamental uh, intentions to alter the way the system operates. They're going to continue allowing this to few benefit at the expense of the many. And they understand that that kind of policy is going to foment a lot of anger, a lot of resentment. And they understand that they anticipate that people are going to rise up. And so for them, they want to know fundamentally who these people are. But I think more importantly about Africa, one thing is we understand when we look at it in terms of propensity, in terms of the Pentagon's, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, the joint, particularly Joint Chiefs of Staff, um, their role in terms of forming, you know, you know, technology for the sole purpose of spying on people who use social media. There's a long history in America in terms of that kind of endeavor. And one of the things we have to understand that when we talk about democracy, democracy never existed. See, this is what people don't understand. People keep insisting that it's democracy. But some people say, well, it's a representative democracy. Well, it's not even a representative democracy because no congressperson, no politician represents the interests of the masses of people. They're all kowtowed to the interests of the wealthy and the powerful and corporations. So this notion in terms of representative democracy simply doesn't exist. But this long history in terms of this thing, in terms of spying on the population, is nothing new. It goes back to 1945. There's a Project Shamrock in which they, they, they monitored telegraphs. I mean, throughout the world. Interesting. In 1967, there's a Project Minaret uh, in which they, 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 they spied on um, so-called uh, activists, uh, in particular, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Joan Baez, Jane Fonda. Now, if anybody knows anything about Joan, Joan Baez, she was a musician. She played the guitar. All she did is sing about social justice. That constitutes a threat as far as the, the powerful concern, and therefore they want to know where she moved, who she's with, who she's talking to, blah, 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 blah. Jane Fonda was an actress. So fundamentally, so then you would think that these people don't have a fundamental, represent a fundamental threat to the system, but anybody who has information, anybody who has knowledge, anybody who can convey that information in a way in which people understand becomes a fundamental threat to the status quo. Uh, Operation Chaos. Now it's an anti-war activist. Uh, so you've got a fundamental right to, you know, um, you know, to petition, you know, your, your government. You have that constitutional right. Well, according to the system, you don't have the constitutional right, and if you do, you, 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 what you're doing is send them out to a threat to the system. And so, therefore, they want to know who you are. Project Echelon, which not only exists in the United States but throughout the world, in which if you use certain words, for instance, if you use Trump, if you use idiot, if you use orange agent, Agent Orange, or you any number you know, um, uh, acronyms for Trump, then you automatic computer automatically picks that up and they know who you are. Um, and when we talk about the pervasiveness of this thing, one of the things we have to keep in mind there's a project Ukusa, and this is now keep this now understand this clearly. We're talking about international now. We're talking about Western nations working together for the sole purpose in terms of spying on folks, particularly when it comes to social media, in terms of who's who, and they share this information with each other. This project, Akusa, consists of the U.S., the U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Australia. They're known as the Five Eyes. And so, therefore, this propensity in terms of wanting to know who people are, particularly when it comes to your ideas, is something that has a lot of historical flow. And we have to understand that this process is not going anywhere because one thing is we have to understand this is not a democracy. It's never desired to be a democracy. And so, therefore, the notion that people don't have a fundamental right to redress uh, um, is something that's embedded in the minds of people in positions of power 
who want to make damn sure that those of us who understand what's going on are not in a position to impact on others in terms of, you know, communication. So clearly it's a problem. Um, Brother Jabari, Sister Handy, can I just get your take and your response to this question from this article? Um, should we be leery in terms of how we use the various social media and what information they can use or take from what we say and use it against the people? Yes, we have to be very mindful because especially for those um, young people who are seeking to begin their professional development, one of the technologies that um, just about any job you can think of has is ability to be able to find all of your social media accounts and be able to research what kind of content is displayed on there. And the thing is, even once you delete it, because um, social media enables to keep records of your digital DNA, there will always be a way those with the right um, technologies are able to be able to track anything that you have put out there and see what kind of individuals you're engaging in discourse with and build a file of what your digital DNA indicates. Sister Hattie, your response? Well, you know, I think just to add a little bit more to it, for the most part, I find that every single law in this country pretty much targets African people. And I think it is a uh, affront to the freedom of speech and, and the freedom to organize against injustices, against inhumane kinds of treatment, uh, uh, to organize against our um, the proliferation of the different violent acts that come upon our people and our communities. And so that being said, it's just always to me, it seems that this country, this culture, has always worked from the standpoint of controlling the African people here. And so I think here again is another way, another uh, rule, a law, or governance process that seeks to do the same thing that's always been done to us. You know, you can go all the way back from slavery. You can go all the way back to the slave ships leaving Africa, to the hippie shores. And then all throughout Reconstruction and throughout all of the freedmen's activities, all the way up to civil rights movement, all the way up to present day where we are. And what we will see is that same trend. And so I don't think it's so much for everybody else because white people don't seem to be worried about white people that much. What white people do is what white people do. And even those that are, quote, those who are liberal, there's always a wink, wink, you know, don't you worry about this, Sally. Don't you worry about this, Joe. This is for the other people. And a few of them will get punished along the way to kind of throw people off the, the scent of what's going on because it gets real complex when you don't um, uh, say, okay, we have some of the, nigger lovers 
we're going to have to get some of them so that they will, there will be some little path of whatever is going on to throw the scent off and we can help our uh, Uncle Tom's and our uh, Step and Fetch it so that they will know what's going on is not really real and that, that we kind of appease them with that. We can appease them. But for the most part, it just seems to me that this is about making sure that there's not an African uprising, period, in this country. And so that being said, that's why when we get to the point of organizing in different ways, you know how our technology acts a little bit differently than the other white folks' technology in this country? Because there are certain little, um, uh, I forget what they call them, tracking devices, so to speak. Anytime the word black comes up, it kind of gets into the whole tracking system, and that's where they want to bring in what's going on there. Okay, let's see what this is. So um, I just say that it's, it's just for us as usual and that, we, I've always said this over the last few years, that we really have to come up with some different ways of communication other than those kinds of ways if we are truly going to organize and truly do what needs to be done in our community. I'm, I don't know what that is. I'm probably not smart enough to do it, but I know some of these 15, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds <laughs> probably have a good uh kind of way to do that with, with that they can discover without um, using and relying so heavily upon that. So I think herein lies our, our kind of dilemma in using the social media to do what needs to be done because everybody's needs certainly are not like ours. And so I, I think the white folks are just fine. It's us that we need to be figuring out how we can handle whatever we need to be trying to do to improve our communities. Thank you. I definitely agree with you, Sister Hattie, in reference to y'all need to form their own um, form of communication and not totally rely on the communication that the enemy has created because no one can stand by allowing you to use the tool that they created to be used against you. <clears throat> that point particularly in reading this article is well taken. But, Brother Moses, what do you take from this article? In terms of looking at this whole question, and I'll ask myself, I thought it was funny about this whole so-called narrative of taxation without representation. Here you have a government that used people's taxpayer money against them. And I don't see the representation in terms of even allowing the kind of policies and research they are doing really were no kind of input or insight from the people in which to, um, in which how these decisions will impact the society as a whole. But what's your, your, your take from this particular article, Brother Moses? Well, we're under the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, the dictator of, of the ruling class, the, the 1%, and and they, they don't care about... Uh, Democracy or getting the opinions of of the population, they they recognize that their their interest is not in the same interest as the population, and so you know they are doing their research and and 
making their plans and and uh, to stifle any dissent from from the population, and that's that's just the bottom line. Um, there is no no concern for public opinion uh, uh, in terms of making this policy. Uh, in spite of public opinion, is recognizing that the public opinion is going to be against it, but that's what's pursuing them to to develop these kind of programs. Uh, and you know, it's just it's just a uh, reality that we're under the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Thank you. You know, Brother Haki and Brother Anthony, one of the things this article brings clearly um, to me is the level of the sophistication and the need for a critical organization when it comes to trying to transform and change this particular system. If we look at the social media um, tools that I've been using today. One of the things they indicated um, within this article is that clearly they have means identifying not only who you are, but where you are, as well as your relationship to other people or who will be more likely to play a major role in terms of um, organizing opposition. So given this reality, Brother Haki and Brother Anthony, given this reality, what would you say to our people in terms of why it's become even more critical, critically for us to be more critically organized and understand tools and how they're used for and against the people? Yeah, yeah. well, I think, I think you're right. I, I think, you know, in terms of organizing, it becomes critical. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, we identify other modes in terms of translating the message. But I think more importantly, I think in terms of just creating a solid foundation uh, and with certain tenets, certain philosophical understanding in terms of how the organization functions and what we're trying to achieve, it has to be established. But you're right, it's going to take some, a lot of critical thought in terms of, in terms of, in terms of that. But let me just say one thing. Let me just deviate real briefly about Africa because one of the things that when I, when I, when I read this article, about the uh, Pentagon surveillance of social media. One of the things that struck me is, is ironic, I think, is the fact that you know, social media doesn't in, in itself ensure that people are going to come out to protest. Uh, you know, it's just one factor. Uh, the media also plays a lot in part in terms of people coming out to protest. So I'm beginning to wonder if I mean, perhaps if the real, the real um, uh, thought behind this whole process is to create technology to ensure that, you know, when people try to organize using social media, that the government could simply come in and, and misdirect people in terms of providing false information to ensure that to, to diffuse, you know, you know, a mass gathering. So I'm, I'm concerned that maybe the real focus, uh, you know, of this technology has nothing to do in terms of identifying who, you know, who, 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 who the people are in terms of social media. Because the whole thing, because keep in mind, most of the tech, um, the tech, um, Telecommunications Act, uh, both of them, clearly defines, you know, the, the, the use of technology to, to identify who's who when they use social media. So the technology already exists in terms of identifying who's who uh, because it's, it, it's been mandated by law that that technology exists. So I think that probably the real, the real motive behind what they're doing is more to a more effective way in terms of diffusing movements, um, you know, by sending creating false information so as to divide people. In one region, they may say a particular program is taking place 
on a Monday, another region is saying that same program is taking place on a Thursday. And so I'm, I'm concerned that might be the real motivation in terms of doing what they're doing. Uh, but back to your question, Brother Africa, you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, the, the critical is important. The, the critical the critical part is very, 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 very important. But one of the things in terms of being critical, one of the things we have to do is that even those among us who say we're conscious, we have to stop thinking, you know, inside the box. We have to begin to think outside the box. And I think a lot of times, for whatever reason, we're inhibited in terms of thinking outside the box, which means it limits our ability in terms of being the most effective in terms of, you know, creating organization which ensures that we have a certain kind of perplexity uh, that we need in terms of, you know, going up against a very, a, a very, a very complex, a very complex system. So I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah, I concur with uh, the points uh, you and uh, Brother Haki made earlier, and I think uh, and I think it is critical because uh, our our enemies are so well organized that in order in in order to in order to gain our liberation, we have to become better organized as a people. And I think we have to resort uh, to the cre- uh, to to to, uh, to, uh, to the creativity that could be found by looking more closely at our culture. And uh, you know, as we have historically, when we've had to overcome ob- obstacles that were created by human beings and nature. So, but I think it is absolutely critical that we uh, uh, that 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 African join organizations that are working for five people's liberation. Uh, because I mean, history has just shown that uh, that regardless of uh, the determination and the valor and the valor of individuals. It is organization that is necessary to ensure our victory. You know, Sister Handy, um, one of the things I thought of the hypocrisy of this article, it shows the contradiction of how the federal government takes the people money. And even though they say they are representing the people, they are their own judge, jury, and executioner in terms of how they will apply certain laws and how they will deal with certain technology. They are even giving themselves the right to privatize this research to certain entities while at the same time denying, having the means to deny themselves any kind of um, responsibility for any kind of um, damages or, or, or any kind of... Um, any kind of violations of certain policies against the people where they'll be a lever that a lever those responsibilities. Now, I find it interesting how they can make private give it to private even private citizens and private groups and they will they will be leave with no accountability to the public. Would would you just make a whole process of how you can do this with going unchecked with nobody else being able to say what is legitimate and what's not in terms of this, this whole process or how to use um, privatize, socialize the money, but privatize how they're going to um, do research and denying the people the right to know what they are doing, so-called, in the name of the people. 
Well, it's just, I think it's a situation which is usual that when certain people are in charge, they scratch the back of their friends. They set up even shell-type organizations that, as we can see in some of the stuff that's going on with the Mueller investigation, uh, as we saw with the Clintons, um, as we've seen with some of the other political people, uh, Dick Cheney was really good at it. Um, and so this this is nothing new. And it has happened, and it continues to happen, and it will continue to happen unless the people really take back some of the government. But it's so far out there now that, you know, I'm not sure that that's possible with a vote. And when I say the people, I'm talking about those people that do believe in some form of uh, justice, independence, and humanity, so to speak. Um and I don't. I just don't know that this country is gonna ever be there. To be very honest with you, I just don't know that it's gonna ever be there because they continue to do these kinds of things and put these these uh, cynical kinds of opportunities for their friends to be out there to make more money off of the government and say it's an okay thing. And there's there's no and not gonna be any accountability. Ever, and not just to their personal friends, but to the, um, you know, the private corporations either. Look at the the bank fiasco that 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 went out, and um, given large portions of our money, it was never any accountability for that for that money. But there sure would have been a lot of accountability if some of us had gotten some of the money. They would have been counting every penny down to the penny. So. They kind of stick together. Thank you. That's my point on it. Brother Moses and the panelists, young Wayne, just looking at all of these uh, collaborations from the government to private institutions to universities, such as Virginia Tech, all of these institutions and people are playing a role towards um, this whole question of ensuring that they can control um any movement that may be created inside this border that will be in opposition to that policy. What's your final take, final thoughts on this article, Brother Moses? Well, the, well, the article, you know, you know, points out that you know it's it's it's, it's you know a small group of people basically that are. Uh, that are managing these these uh, policies and uh, and that, you know it's not a democratic situation uh, uh, where, where the mass of the people are, are going to look, be looked out for their interests or anything like that. But but that you know it's it's uh, maintain the status quo and, and expand the status quo. I mean that's just the bottom line. Thank you. The one of the disturbing things about this article comes from this particular point here, uh, Brother Anthony Hackey. Talk about the move by um, Good Talk, V T A R C, 
It illustrates that even with the best of intentions, independent scientists receiving U.S. government funding for such research have no control or oversight over the uses of their work. According to Price, the impact of the research could still be in serious, even if social scientists involved did not hold any common interest as sex. As sex. Now, what, what, what do y'all make from that reality? Good research, you you don't have no particular sense on in terms of the final product or how they will use this. Actually, it's uh, somewhat similar to a situation uh, with uh, with the atomic bomb. I mean, the the researchers that were engaged in the, in, in that study of the effects of um, you know um, heart, uh, you know splint atom for you know for energy had no control over how that technology would be used later on. It, 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 it came down to a political question. And uh, this is a similar situation um, uh, here where we're, fr- uh, where we're confronted with this uh, technology in terms of, um, you know, surveillance. Uh, you know, um, you know, it's, it's going to be uh, uh and in, in, in this case, the ruling class that has the, that that has the final word in how that technology is used, and uh, it could be used for a purpose other than what the developers intended. So it's not so much on them; it's really the system that we're living under, that we're struggling against. That is. That 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 uh, that is our primary enemy at this point, and those uh, forces that cast their lot with that enemy, and therefore do do, do its bidding, and uh, so that's what we're up against, and uh, and it can and will be defeated, but it's going to take us organized. And the quicker we get organized, uh, the the less will be the degree of human suffering. You know when uh, you know when the struggle uh, heats up. Iraqi. Yeah. Well, you know, un- unfortunately, you know, um, being, you know, bureaucracy being what it is. Uh, these scientists are given a a a a, um, a, a, a job to perform. Uh, there's a project they have to complete, and there's something told the general parameters in terms of what they have to do. Uh, in terms of specifically how this technology is used is beyond their purview. Uh, but I think one of the things is that you know, just most scientists are smart to figure out that when they innovate this technology, they understand clearly you know what its use is ultimately going to be. Uh, you know, they're, they're, most of them are not ignorant to that extent. Uh, most of them are aware in terms of current affairs. They know what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, so I, I, I think that, um, you know, um, they can always hide behind this notion that, in fact, that they, uh, you know, it's bureaucracy. They've simply given a task to perform, and they carry it out in a, in a, in a discussion. But I think also the fact that, you know, that's their job, uh, you know, um, you know, even if they 
agree philosophically or not. I think for them, I think it's simply their job. And, and unfortunately, one of the things is that, uh, you know, these people have, you know, they have, a lot of them have families to take care of. And so, therefore, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. That's not to justify, you know, what they're doing. I mean, I wish more of them would say, no, I'm not going to do this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm philosophically opposed to innovating technology for the sole purpose, you know, of, of you know, undermining people's uh, rights, uh, you know, to human expression. I wish that was the case, but uh, you know, I, I'm realistic enough to know that a lot of times, you know, some good people do things, you know, simply because you know the need of taking care of families. And uh, it was real with those was one of those very uh, gray areas now, which you know, I wish could be resolved easily. But a lot of times it's not as simple as as as, as that. Um, you know, um, one other thing about Africa, I, I think also, you know, um, you know, um, you know, when when, they, when these when these scientists are giving you know uh, these decrees, they have to sign, stating you cannot talk about what you do, you know, in terms of research. Uh, you know, one of the things is they have a they have a real fear. I mean, they understand the overwhelming power, you know, of, of you know, you know, of the establishment. Uh, they understand that these guys could destroy them. I mean, they could literally, if they wanted to, they could kill them, and they they were aware of that. And so, even though I think some may want to come forward and let people know precisely what's going on, I think they realize that the uh, repercussions are coming forward and telling people what's really going on. Maybe they're not prepared to uh, prepare to do. Um, so I give them the benefit of the doubt in terms of you know um, you know um, you know um, that reality, but nonetheless I'm saying by the fact that, that that too many are willing you know to to participate you know in these kind of projects knowing full well that uh, it's going to lead to the to undermining you know um, humanity. So you know that's my view on that. Okay, before we make our take our station break, Sister Hattie. I'll just give you some a chance for any other final thoughts on this particular article that you may like to have, that you may like to share with the listening audience. Sister Hattie and Brother Moses, final thoughts on this article? Sorry, I was on mute. <laughs> I was talking, yeah, no but I was on mute. Sorry about that. Well, just in terms, I think that the article is putting out good information and it gives us something, some fruit to think about in terms of always, the articles do, what people are doing, what our government is doing, and and how we can think, as he says all the time, outside of the box and the others, thinking in that manner on, on uh, actions that we can take and maneuvers that we can incorporate into our daily lives. And I think that's the way we have to go with that kind of information. You will find it to us, Brother Moses. Well, these these scientists are, are like Einstein, you know, they know they're, they're doing something that's, that, uh, that, you know, it's, it's going to be in the hands of the bourgeoisie and, uh, what good can come of it. I mean, and, but you know they they either pursue it or they don't pursue it. It's a matter of consciousness and political consciousness. And uh, 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 you know it's a dilemma that they they must face. And uh, it's, it's, it's that detriment humanity, though. Thank you. Okay, Brother Moses. Final thoughts. Final 
Okay, panelists, we're going to make a transition to the next article, deal with the psychology of fascism. But before we do that, we're going to take a station break, and then when we come back, we'd like to talk a little bit about the psychology of fascism and how it looks today. So we're going to pause for the calls, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Moon.
like to continue our discussion tonight on the theme, This Is How They Do It, The Game They Play. There was a recent article titled, The Psychology of Fascism, something that we will advocate on our listening audience to check out by Robert J. Burroughs. Um, this article also can be seen a view from or got from the Information Clearinghouse. It talk about the psychology of fascism. Start with you, Brother Haki. One of the things to talk about is give you some of the characteristics of fascism. Can you speak a little bit of what are the characteristics of fascism? Yeah, I'll just I'll just pick a few. Uh, I don't want to monopolize the discussion, uh, but. Um, one of them is the belief in the past. Uh, one, of, one of the things in America, we talk about American exceptionalism, and that alone prevents a lot of people from having a, a realistic discussion in terms of the history of America. And so, therefore, this notion that this great society has always existed in the minds of a lot of people, uh, they, they believe it to be true. But, in fact, it's not true. But, nonetheless, they believe it to be true. And so those individuals who oppose such misconceptions uh, vilified simply because they understand the reality is America is not as great as it's keep on being propped up to be. Also, uh, he talks about the role in terms of, um, um, you know, intellectualism. Uh, and that's is important. And one of the things that, you know, the current individual that's in the White House now, Orange Menace, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, like, he doesn't like intellectualism. Uh, he doesn't like the idea in terms of being expressed more than one idea or multi-level ideas at a time. Uh, he prefers more uh, more simplistic kinds of reasoning, and uh, he that he you know, of course relate to. And so, what happens is that in American society, that increasingly more and more people are being introduced to uh, anti-intellectualism. In fact, people don't like uh, if they have to bang too hard. Uh, the, in fact, when we talk about the political process in America. One of the things if you want the political vote, then you keep it simple. In fact, one of the things is well known is that when politicians talk to the masses of people in America. And they talk to him on a fifth grade level. Barack Obama, of course, talked to people on a seventh grade level. George Bush spoke to him on a sixth grade level. So clearly, this notion in terms of anti-intellectual is a big part in terms of propensity for people to to adopt fascism as a way of life. And one last thing, I'm going to raise his brother Af- African and someone else respond. Uh, also, it talks about the fact it, it has it, it has the, uh, uh, a a critical. Um, it criticizes racial uh, racial minorities and women uh, in terms of their desire for equality. In fact, those who are who who support fascism see those kind of uh, you know um, charge those kind of requests for equality. They see that as a, not only a threat to the status quo, but they see that as someone who wants you know special privileges. And they, in their mind, in America, there's no one immune with special privileges. That in fact that everyone gets what they deserve based upon hard work and, 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 and effort. In fact, we understand when you talk about the question in terms of inequality in America, we understand that fundamentally this is a system which is designed to ensure that those you know, with wealth continue to prosper at the expense of those who don't have wealth. And so, therefore, the question of, of inequality is something that's structural, structurally uh, created and, and structurally condoned. And so this notion that, in fact, that everyone has an equal shot in terms of becoming a billionaire is just uh, erroneous. But nonetheless, that's what people believe. And people who, who, who think everybody has an equal shot condone fascism. They like fascism because anything that questions authority, uh, these people have a very difficult time with. So I'll close with that. 
you know, Brother Anthony, one of the things I thought really interesting in terms of um, reading this article was that they talk about some of the um, psychological um, impact ones may have in Canada. As a result, this is why they developed this attitude and this behavior, behavior of being a fascist. For example, it mm-hmm. talks a little bit about how many of them were victimized, victimized even by people very closely related to them, and they couldn't, they have not been able to overcome the victimization. And at the same time, as part of this victimization, what often ha- happened to people who have been victimized like that, they seek to victimize other people who is weaker and more vulnerable. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, some of the things that may have contributed or contributed to maybe why one would would develop a, a, a demeanor of wanting to um, become a facet or, or, or embrace facet? Well, actually, uh, the article talks about how um, being exposed to a tremendous amount of um, Violence during the during the course of that development could lead one to to be that way. I would uh, I would add in addition to uh, physical violence or being in an, an abusive relationship uh, with someone uh, either with their parents or 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 an adult figure. I would add that being uh, being in a in a society in which um uh you know wealth is unevenly distributed impoverishment is a form of violence after all and uh being exposed to that could uh could also add to that and so there's several factors but i think what is what is uh, contributing uh to the rise in fascism is that I think people realize that that we do not live in a world of a, of a superabundant resources. That the resources of the, uh, uh, of the earth are are, are are definitely finite, and they're becoming uh, scarcer as a result of the uh, ravages of centuries of capitalism. And uh, so I think that is also uh, contributing to the rise in fascism, uh, because fascism is um, is uh, capitalism, uh, you know, without the welfare state, so to speak. So uh, I think uh, you know, thing because uh, the U.S. is in decline, is resorting to fascism. As a means of whole, uh, of the ruling class holding on to its power. Thank you, Brother Andrew. Brother Moses. You know how he started earlier. He defined some of the characteristics of fascism. I can name a few others for those who may not be aware of it. And one thing on the fascism, you know, this whole question of um, human rights is not a knowledge. Okay, and this whole issue of rampant sexism. It's also um, a display. You also have this question of the control of mass media and this whole obsession of, of nationalism. Um, these are all symptoms and characteristics of fascism. Um, also this whole question of labor that's oppressed 
and this whole question of, of, of power, this whole question of, of corruption and power. And we can see all these tendencies taking place a lot more clear today under this particular administration, as well as others, if you, even before then. From your position, Brother Moses, when you look at this whole question of fascism, as it taking place inside the U.S., what would you say to, to, to the people on a daily basis of um, what could they do to begin to try to um, slow this, this movement down and, and change it? Because if it continue on, the, on this path, I think the people are going to be in for a rude awakening. Just what would be your response to this whole question of um, what could we do and what should we do as it relates to and there are all these um, tendencies that are becoming more clear and clear on a daily basis, on a daily basis in South America today. We have to be organized. That's the first thing we have to get within organizations. Because uh, uh, the fascination process is, is what a, a, a streamline in the economy in the I don't understand how other than ignorance and a 
allowed to continue because he has he, he's a demagogue and he knows how to play on the back of sentiments of people people and uh we've got to educate and uh and uh and raise political consciousness. That's that's the only way out. Thank you. You know, Sister Hattie, one of the ways of how they maintain their power with such control of the people is through a continual process of corruption and nepotism and it's a question of um to protect the interests of a big business, the interests of corporations. Um, can you speak a little bit to how you see that playing out today, um, at this point in time in the US and elsewhere? Um in the article on yes. fascism, yes, uh, I guess I, I'm just I'm just thinking about it in a in a little bit different way because I guess I didn't pull that part out of it so much as I pulled the psychology piece out of it and the um, the other. Uh, aspects to it with, you know, human rights and et cetera. So I really didn't do a lot of thinking about um, the the power piece as much. So I don't know. I I just... What would you put on it? Share with us what what you took from it. Um, I can't buy into it. I can't buy into it. And I guess the reason I can't buy into the article in terms of the psychology and of people being hurt physically, and um, that's why they are where they are. I, I think the intellect certainly does have something to do with it, but the totality of it in the actuality is that We've always lived in a violent world, period. Wars have gone on ever since man has been in charge of things. Man is a warmonger. Man sees things quite differently, let's say, than the woman. There are probably some that are women warmongers, too, and warriors. However, I, I can't buy that this whole piece around um, these fascists or that way because of this power they didn't have when they were children and they felt powerless. So then what that would tell me and what that would lead me to believe in that, well, if that is the case, why is it that the the slaves didn't get affected in that way from that standpoint, you know, so because descendants of slaves certainly would be fascist to their people, and I don't think that's the case. It's really hard-pressed to find someone that is even willing that a slave descendant at this day and age in this point in time that we're in that will even acknowledge that there is a problem openly. Those individuals are far and few between. And so I don't know that I can buy this argument that the author here has brought to us. 
I do think the intellectual part of it is a, a issue that people want to, I guess, dummy down the country or dummy down people and not educate the children so that they can think at their highest capacity. I do believe that part is in here. But the violence part, I believe, has a whole other case in point, case in point, is these people that perpetuate this are just evil, greedy, selfish, psychopaths. Now, I can't prove that, but that's what they act like to me. Point is well made, Brother Haki. But in terms of when we do talk about fascism and looking at it, how it manifests today inside of this present administration, it talks about how it protects the interests of big business and also fascism protects the interests of, well, it, it, it manifests a sense of corruption and cronyism. It has a tendency to, um, to give, give assets to, to resources. But hasn't that always been the case? But it's undercover, and right now it's on top of the cover. Hasn't that always been the case? That may have. That may be true to some sense, Sister Hattie. But I think, in terms of the openness, or, the, or it's just been openly done. I guess the manner of it. Right. It, it, right. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's been it's under the cover, the same. But it's just hidden. Very. It's been hidden because the people were smart enough to not to, or, or cared not to bring it out. But anyway, I will yield at this point. Then, thank you. Okay. Yeah, well, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think it's a matter of degrees. I think to the extent that um, the, the 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 possibility of fascism exists, of irrespective of administration, of course that exists. But the problem is an intent. Uh, for instance, if you take Donald, uh, Donald Trump, he says he's a nationalist. And no, he don't say nationalist lightly. He's saying that for a particular reason, for effect. He's saying he's a nationalist because he supports white people. And one thing about, 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 about when you look at the large crowds of white folks who support Donald Trump, who are, I mean, who are extremely ecstatic about, you know, his, his, you know, his, uh, his election, when you look at these people, one of the things that's ever interested, most of them are not, uh, most of them don't come across as particularly intellectual. Most of them don't come across well-informed, but they love this guy. So what is it that they about, about Donald Trump that they love? Well, this whole not question of nationalism in terms of being part of something. So when you talk about psychological, when you talk about insecurity that exists, you talk about as a white kid growing up in society and says that, you know, that your worth is predicated on you receiving A, B, and C. Well, if you don't receive A, B, and C, uh, you're going to gravitate toward those individuals who can promise to give you A, B, and C. And so they become pro-fascist because they think that the government can give them what they want, but this individual can't. So that's the important distinction between, let's say, Trump and, and Barack Obama. Barack Obama also oversees a, a sense of cronyism. Um, that's part of capitalism. Uh, you know, but he didn't approve of it, but it, it existed under his administration because it's systematic. Now, one of the things, Brother Africa, um, real quickly in terms of this whole question in terms of fascism, one of the things, that just to make it very simple so people understand exactly what we're talking about when we talk about fascism, essentially what we're talking about is people who, have, who are in opposition to government. Uh, they see their problems being resolved you know, by individuals. For uh, instance, so we talk about Mussolini. Uh, we talk about Hitler. So we talk about these people who rise to great prominence because, in, to a large extent, People support them out of the, out of the belief 
that these people can provide them for what they need. So when we talk about Trump and we talk about his followers, we talk about this 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 this, this, this mania that exists in terms of the the over enthusiasm for Trump. Uh, even though Trump is very clear that his policies are geared toward empowering the one percent, they're, they're they're making off like bandits. But nonetheless, his people, who are my large working class white people, support him to the hilt. And so the question is, then, then why are you continuing to support a man who don't give a damn about you? Well, to some extent, then you got this question in terms of race becomes a very, very important in terms of fascism. Because if, in fact, you feel this is the white man's land, and this white man talking about, you know, your, you know, your interests, our interests as white people, then clearly that's somebody can get behind. And so, therefore, when he talks about uh, more police, more, you know, extended police power, police killing people, uh, people police shooting people, these people support that, and it leads and it leads to fascism. When we talk about high incarceration rates, uh, you lock up all these people, but it's eventually, you know, these people get out. Uh, but it doesn't matter as long as you lock up a large number of people. Clearly, we understand it benefits the corporations, but in terms of the social, social I mean, the psychological impact, in terms of saying large number of people go to prison, it doesn't, it doesn't, 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 for, for the white working class to support Donald Trump, they don't see it as a problem. They see it as a good thing. And so, therefore, if they rounded up every African in the society, this group would have no problem with that. They would say it's a good thing. And so, again, we can say they're pro-fascist. Uh, and we talk about um, the judiciary, which is beholden to the elite. Well, we talked about uh, this guy, um, Kavanaugh, who just got supported. This guy is, this guy is pretty much traditional. He, he, his whole thing is that he's all about supporting the powerful, supporting corporations. That's his thing. He thinks that's the way all society should be organized. He has no problem in terms of strong men leading society. He doesn't have a problem with that because his, his position is that these people can facilitate the kind of change that needed, whereas governments can't. You and I would say that's, 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 that's ironic because we see government, which is supposedly you know, representative of the people, will, we see it as, 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 as part of the machinery in terms of making sure that our needs get addressed. Well, in his world, uh, it go, it's the exact opposite. It's individuals who can achieve give the people what they want. Uh, and, of course, they define what the people want. If people may want housing, people may want shelter, people want proper education, people may want all those things. But in his mindset, you know, if you're not one one percent, you get none of those things. So we can say he's pro-fascist. So this is the situation that we're going to find in society. And so um, when we look at this guy in, in the White House right now, and we listen to the things that he say and the things that he does, then we should be very, very clear that what we're looking at is fascism. So I hope, I really hope that people understand precisely what we're talking about when we talk about fascism. Brother Anthony, in closing this out, give us your final thought on this article and and what should the people remember the most as we begin to look at this form of this government in terms of becoming more and more fascist on a daily basis. Um, I think um, uh, what I will quote, I think the most important thing to take away from it is the increasing levels of violence and that exists in this society as a way of getting what the ruling class wants, resorting to violence, and also the fact that um, uh, that European hostility towards Africans and other oppressed people uh, from the southern hemisphere is becoming more and more open. 
there was a time period where people tried to keep that sort of thing hidden, and it's uh, becoming more and open, and that should uh, raise serious concerns among uh, among Africans in the U.S. And I would conclude by saying that uh, the solution is Pan-Africanism. And you can and people can find out more about that by visiting our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Moses, as this government begins to become more and more outright fascist, what is your final thoughts you'd like to leave for for our listening audience tonight on this subject? Because this is how they are planning on doing this thing. Heal and for the future. Okay, we now got your brother Moses. Go ahead. Your final thoughts, brother Moses. Um. Okay, I think you know, like I said, the fascination process, you know, it's been going on, and uh, and um. We we have to educate people uh, as to their interests. Uh, you know, the, Trump, Trump is able to play on the backward feelings of people and the backward sentiments of people, and and uh, and uh, he's, he's 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 a real demagogue. And uh, you know, we we've got to to get people who who will oppose them and. Uh, that's 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 uh, it's easier said than done, but that's what needs to be done. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, brother Moses. Since the hand of your final thoughts, as we discussed this question, this is how they do it. We're looking right now. This this country is opening, going down the course or down the road, being not right fastest. What is your final thoughts on this particular subject? My, I guess my final thought is, is to a question, how do we get our young people to understand what fascism is and to get involved in, in, in resolving some of it? Because I think that is a great uh, adventure for us if we could bridge that gap between the older, middle, and the young people age-wise so that they're not starting all over to try to figure out what some of us already know. And so how do we how do we do that? And I think that is a very critical uh piece in our exploration of this um I guess what do you call it fascism of the new age. <laughs> new age fascism. Thank you, Sister Haley. Point where I take it. And brother Haki, your final thought on the subject. Uh, your fascism and this is how they do it. Gain and play. Your fantasy was from Reminds me of the of the uh, information that was leaked about um, the um, the secret societies, uh, the Skull and Bone Society, in which you know the uh, the participants were sodomized uh, for the sole purpose in terms of making sure they have their loyalty. So a similar kind of situation exists in terms of populists uh, who grew up in America thinking. That does something unique about their whiteness, and so therefore anybody who promises to give them something 
in, in accordance to their whiteness. Uh, it's someone to be revered, someone to be respected. So I think this so this kind of fascism that exists in society has a lot to do in terms of the psychological uh, conditions that are manifest, you know, by the system. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, uh, we have to understand, you know, that, um, you know, the institutions and systems in the society does impact uh, how people how people think, how they behave, how they feel. Uh, but my final statement, Brother Africa, is this. I, I simply, as always, I encourage people, you know, to unravel the matrix. Uh, the situation is, 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 is pretty perilous, and if, and if we don't grasp what's going on, then the situation for us is going to be very, very grim, and there's no other way to put it. And I want to thank you, and you have a good night. We'd like to thank all our panelists. We'd like to thank you, our listening audience. We'd like to thank all our supporters for sharing their views and perspectives on the various programs that we do on a weekly basis on Sunday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We hope that tonight we will share with you some information that will give you a better sense of clarity and understanding your realities understanding your environment, and understanding how we collectively can go about a better way of changing our realities. We wish you to do the best that you can, and one of the best examples you can give to us, doing the best you can, and that can be um, viewed by joining an organization that is fighting for the liberation of your people and the liberation of humanity from its very forms of oppression. We know as individuals we are very limited in terms of what we can do, but as a group, as an organized group, all things are possible. Again, we'd like to thank you for listening to Africa on the Move. And we'll be looking forward to seeing you next Sunday, same time, same place, and always remember, we must always strive to go forward our backwards and level. This has been Africa on
Give it up. 